This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to finish, uh, continue our, our Christmas sermon series in Matthew chapter 22. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we have been uh, talking about some of the Christmas TV um, animation that's been on, on television and what we could learn from them. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we learned from uh, just the, the, the cartoon of the Grinch that stole Christmas, thinking he could steal Christmas by stealing the packages and uh, the, all the decorations and all that. And he found out that he, he did that. It still didn't stop Christmas from happening. And we learned from that little cartoon that uh, we know what Christmas is not. And we went to the scriptures to find out what Christmas truly is all about. And we, and we threw, uh, found out through the angels and the things that they proclaimed. And last week we talked about Rudolph. And one of the things I, I didn't mention, one of the things that I liked about the story of Rudolph is that you'll see in the end, uh, spoiler alert, that uh, there are truly no misfits that through, I would call it Christian community, godly community, church community, that everybody is welcomed. And so if you remember the story, even the abominable snowman, uh, we found that he was isolated from community, that he turned out that he was also accepted and uh, in his life had changed. But we learned also from the scriptures, the Luke passage, that when Mary came to to Bethlehem that she found that the, there was no room at the inn. The innkeeper uh, was too busy or too occupied. And we used the picture of, of Central Station that people can easily be too occupied, too busy uh, to really recognize who Jesus is. And uh, the challenge we had last week was that we would uh, slow down and that we would not be controlled by the, uh, the culture of telling us that, you know, we need to busy ourselves. And it is interesting that we can be so busy celebrating Christmas that we miss the true reason for Christmas. It's kind of ironic. You know, I was thinking of how much time and energy it takes to, uh, to you know, to do a Christmas holiday season. Now, here at Mosaic Church, we love Christmas because it celebrates the birth of Christ, um, but uh, our, our decorations are simple in the sense that, you know, we want to make sure that we're not expending all our energy in celebrating the party or the celebration of Christmas instead of just focusing on the goodness of Christ. You know, uh, you hear and I notice on social media, sometimes you see parents and and. Uh, and moms especially, that they're tired, and it is a, a lot of effort to, to have that perfect Christmas. But the perfect Christmas really should be that we celebrate uh, Jesus. One of the things I love about our songs this morning is that uh, it's almost like we can't help it. It's like when we read a book, we can't help to go to the back of the page and, and see how the story ends. And so uh, as uh, some of the higher-end churches, they, they celebrate Advent, and Advent really is leading up to the birth 
of Christ. And then after that, leading up to Easter, and, um, but it's almost, and, and I, I agree, I can't help myself, I just want to celebrate and say thank you for Jesus, what he did on the cross. Uh, thank you for being uh, born so that this could happen, uh, Easter could happen. And so this particular Sunday, I would like to uh, maybe draw your attention again to another cartoon, if, if not my favorite, the favorite. One of the things I learned about this little cartoon, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas, was it first aired uh, a year after I was born, 1965. That's so old. And when it aired, a very interesting fact is um, many people in those days, if they had a television, it was in black and white. So most people saw uh, Charlie Brown Christmas in black and white. And one of the things I found humorous was that the only reason it uh, was aired was that Coca-Cola uh, wanted to do something with uh, the, the animator, um, Schultz, and so they came up with this Christmas story. So Coca-Cola is the one that sponsored. And when it originally aired in 1965 and on television, there's a scene where Snoopy gets like twirled around and he, he gets slammed into a billboard, and the billboard was a Coca-Cola advertisement. And so it wasn't until years later that they stopped doing that. Another thing that we find interesting about... Um, Charlie Brown's Christmas, when it aired, it was not the number one show of that week. Uh, Bonanza was. So uh, any of you who are older, you recognize that, uh, the show Bonanza. And, but it was pretty interesting when this, this story uh, came out. Nobody knew it was going to be a hit. And uh, year after year, it was such a big hit that uh, there was a battle for the rights of it that ABC ended up uh, purchasing the rights to show a Charlie Brown Christmas. One of the things I also love about the story of Charlie Brown Christmas is that how it focuses on uh, a little tree. Charlie Brown is, is sad. He, he goes, talks to his uh, psychiatrist, who's Lucy, and she directs him to that maybe you should direct a play, and part of his job is to go look for a tree, which is very interesting because the tree that he picks isn't very much of a tree. It's more like a branch. And so he brings it back to the cast, and you guys know the story, and he gets ridiculed, and he, people laugh at him. And then, uh, and then finally he asks the question, would somebody please tell me the true meaning of Christmas? And so as we were sharing uh, two weeks ago uh, about what the angels had said, and last week, you know, about the innkeeper, and we're reading out of Luke chapter 2, I pray that none of us could leave Mosaic Church without understanding what the true meaning of Christmas. A couple things I look, and when I see this little cartoon, I recognize that the tree could be symbolic of some, someone, someone who was humble, someone came to earth fragile and weak, it was despised, marginalized, and overlooked. And so easy in our culture to over, overlook our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we want to go straight to Matthew chapter 2 and continue our little sermon series on the people who missed Christmas. The innkeeper missed it because he was occupied, busy. And so Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, read with me. This person really missed it. But I want to challenge you this morning, and this is the hard part for church attendees, you in the pew. 
And for those who are watching on Wi-Fi, we do have a few people that are sick and they're checking us out on Wi-Fi, but is that read yourself in the story. Don't read someone else in the story. Read yourself in the story. That's the biggest challenge. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is that he that was born? Now watch this. King of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So you have these three wise men, or these wise men come from the east and to Jerusalem, and they, want, they saw the star, and they would like to know where the king of the Jews is. And when King Herod heard these things, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men and inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, he sent them to Beth- and appeared and sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I might come to worship him also. If you, uh, I was just in North Carolina two days ago, three days ago, and I was with some uh, trainees for campus ministry, and we read this story, and uh, it was very interesting to, to work with young adults who weren't necessarily raised in church, and he said, well, what's wrong with that? The king wanted to worship Jesus. He had, it's almost as though he didn't really read the whole story. It was very intriguing to me to, to see this unfold. But King Herod wants to worship Jesus. But it says that, the, that he was fearful because the, there was a, a baby or a child that was the king of the Jews. And in verse 3, it says there, let me read it again. In verse 3, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod King, behold, came wise men. Where is he that was born? Now watch, the king of the Jews, for we have seen the star. When King Herod had heard these things, he was troubled. The Bible says that he was troubled, and it's a nice way of saying he was agitated. He was stirred up. He was shaken up. He was in total panic. I remember a couple times when I was... Uh, a, a young parent, uh, there were times where I was agitated, stirred up, and, and shaken up, and sometimes in panic, and sometimes uh, got upset. And I can imagine what King Herod, so I begin to picture what King Herod must have felt like when he heard the good news, in quotation mark for him, that he was, the Bible says he was agitated. And the question that you and I should ask ourselves, why was he agitated? He had all the power. He was the man of authority. Why would he be afraid of some little child that was born in some obscure little town of Bethlehem? Well, we know that, in, uh, we know that Herod was uh, uh, an Edomite. He wasn't a Jew. He was uh, ruling the land at that time. And uh, he was following the footsteps of his father. And Herod and his family had great favor in the Roman Empire. And the only way you have great favor in the Roman Empire is that you heed to the Roman Empire culture. You're not going to have great favor in the Roman Empire if you're counter to the Roman culture. And so 
Herod and his father had great favor in Rome, and Herod will begin to get uh, advancements in, in his politics, in his life in politics, in the ruling. And then one, you know, so then that day that he was given the role of to lead Judea, he was, um, he was very much like his father, and so when the Senate appointed Herod, he was, they considered him the king of Judea. And as I said, he wasn't a Jew. But he heard that this one child who was born, the king of the Jews, and that's where he began to panic. And again, let me challenge you this morning. Read yourself in the story. Read yourself in the story. This King Herod, like every other king, it seems like, was seeking glory and grandeur. He was looking to be placed on, on a kingly place, of a place of authority, a, a place, a, a seat where he, he would rule. And all of a sudden, he finds himself threatened by this little baby. I feel that King Herod was a fearful man. I know too many people who are ruled by fear, and there are times I'm ruled by fear. And I understand where, a little bit, I can understand where King Herod is coming from, that here he is the man of authority, and then there's someone else. He's the king of Judea, and now all of a sudden this other king is being born. So this king panics. And I don't know if you know this about King Herod, but he was a wicked, wicked man. He was very insecure. He his identity was not in God. He was very insecure. And so uh, while he was the governor of Galilee, his father had some opposition, and he realized that his father's opposition would be his opposition. So he made it a point, and this is how he was advancing, that he would destroy all his opposition. When I say destroy, it's not through you know, words or you know, written documents. It's by killing. So he would kill the opposition. He was very good at collecting taxes, and he taxed all the people. And then he killed a group of people called the, the Maccabeans, and they were the people that would rise up in, against the, uh, the, the revolution against the Greek power. And he wanted to make sure that they didn't rise up, so he slaughters them. We know through history that Herod had 10 wives, and he had 12 children. And one of his wife had an important brother. His wife Miriam had a brother who was a high priest of another region. And so King Herod murders him. He's fearful that he might muscle in and be, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a soprano show as we hear about King Herod. Matter of fact, how he killed him was interesting. He invited him over to go swimming, and Herod's brother in law went into the water to swim, and then Herod had his men jump into the water and drown him. And at the funeral, King Herod wept, and people didn't know, the, of course, the backstory. So they looked at somehow, you know, that look at this compassionate man. He uh, had his brother-in-law killed. And that brother-in-law was married, and he had his wife killed. And his brother-in-law was married had children, and had his children killed. He was suspicious of everybody. He was suspicious that somebody would come and take his throne, 
And so he began to kill people to make sure that he would keep his throne. One time, right at the very end of his life, this is how wicked this man, King Herod, is. At the end of his life, he told his men to capture all the distinguished people in the area and imprison them, people that were like politicians and and rulers. And he gathered them in the jail. And when King Herod died, when he died, he commanded that those people in prison were also died and killed at the same time because he wanted the area, the community, the city to mourn. And even though they weren't mourning for him, but outside eyes wouldn't tell the difference. He wanted people to mourn in the city uh, because he knew that if he died alone, that nobody would mourn. So when he hears that there's this Jesus, the king of the Jews being born, he begins to act out in fear. And so he, he, he hears from these wise men and he wants them to come back and tell them the story so they could, he too could also worship him. Matter of fact, we know through scriptures and history that he began to murder any children that were two years and younger, boys. So insecure, so fearful, so evil, because he wanted to keep his throne. He wanted to make sure that no one would threaten his position of power. And so he began to slaughter children. And so that's why God had warned Mary and Joseph and they fled to Egypt. So the question in our, our greater uh, theme is the people that missed Christmas. Why did King Herod miss Christmas? Was it just because of fear and, and jealousy? He wanted to make sure there was no other Herods left in the area. So he's fearful of Jesus. And you know, there's There's always Herods in our culture, aren't there? People who are fearful of Jesus. Fearful of Jesus, because if Jesus is truly the king, then we, we, his people, or the people would need to be subject to the king. Our culture needs Jesus, amen? I mean, you don't have to read too much and see what's going on. This morning, Robin and I prayed for our grandkids and our children's church kids. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, in every culture thing, every generation thinks this. So I remember, and this is a side note, uh, I was afraid to get married and afraid to have children because at that time it was the late 80s, 90s, the economy was in shambles, a lot of social unrest. And I remember being fearful. And I remember my pastor told me he felt the same thing when he got married in the 60s. And then he told me that his parents told him the same thing. They were getting married during World War II. So every generation feels this. Every generation feels like, boy, it's getting bad. And so, but we still wanted to pray for our children because that's how I feel, same times. Like, boy, culturally, it's it's getting tough out there. Our culture, our humanity needs Jesus. There's always Herods in any society. But I think there's something that's very important for us to hear and understand at this story that we don't miss Christmas. Herod's fear 
Herod's insecurity came from the idea that someone was going to take his throne. That somebody was going to come and take his seat. And I would affirm to you, and I've shared, uh, I've done evangelism, that this is really the biggest fear of humanity. So many times I remember being on campus. How many, you know, like talk to someone, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe that the Bible is true? People would say yes. You, you know, I would like, almost like in shock, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Yes. That's, you know, they would say that's plausible. And this is at the union here on campus. Do you think Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Do you think he rose from the dead? Yes. Will you bow your knee and serve him? No. That's where people stop. It's not the issue of did God create the universe. It's not the issue did God send a, a, a savior in, born in a manger. Not that someone die on a cross. It's not the word of God. It's not did he was raised three days later. That's not the issue. If people are honest, the issue is do you believe Jesus is Lord and King of your life? And that's where people tend to back off. And I believe they do it for the very same reason that King Herod does, out of fear and anxiety and anxiousness that someone is going to sit at the throne, the, king, the king's throne. Are you willing to bow your knee to Jesus, I would ask them. But when you bow your knee to Jesus, that means you're no longer in charge. And so the biggest challenge in our culture is this, allowing Jesus to be in charge. In charge of, you know, when we talk to college students, in charge of your thought life, in charge of your money, in charge of your dating life, your private life. As they, people get older, we can say, in charge of your wallet, in charge of how you spend time. See, when Jesus is king, we are his children and we are subject to the king Jesus. So I would ask adults about thought patterns and your physical needs or your money and your time. And as soon as you ask people, are you willing to relinquish the charge of your time, typically it's like, hey, let's not get too crazy. Hey, I, you know, I just, I want a manageable Jesus. And so King Herod did not want anybody to take his throne. And so he goes to great lengths to make sure it doesn't happen. So he, he wants to make sure that this little child doesn't interfere with his life. It doesn't interfere with his career. It doesn't interfere with his position. It doesn't interfere with his power and his ambition. He wants to make sure that this little baby Jesus doesn't interfere with his lifestyle. Because nobody else can be king but himself. He does not want let Jesus to be the king of his life. So what he really wants is what I would call um, a genie. Jesus, you know, genie bottle Jesus. 
The genie bottle Jesus is the resource Jesus. You have a need, he's here to meet your need. Uh, just so you know, um, I believe when you come to church, we get blessed. But I also believe that we don't come to church to get blessed. Does that make sense? Uh, because if we start selling church as a place to be blessed, then we're, we, are, we are trying to hook you through carnal uh, means. And that's not what church is about. Now, we do get blessed. We find rest when we come to church and worship the king. We feel peace when we come together and worship the king. We find joy and purpose. All those things are reminded. It, it's like coming back and we are realigned for our purpose. But we're not selling Mosaic Church, come and, and get realigned and you'll feel good. That's appealing to our carnal nature. And it's appealing. Come and you'll be blessed. Give and you're going to get tenfold. Right? But that's not really the scripture. And so many people, like those who want to believe in Jesus and wear the cross around their neck and, 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 and tattoo on their arms, but the real challenge is, are we willing to bend our knee and say, God, Jesus, you're the king of our lives. And Herod wasn't willing to do that. We don't want anyone determining what our priorities are. We don't want anybody telling us how to spend money. So they reject Jesus. They don't want to come to Christ because it cramps their lifestyle. Because laying, they don't want anybody to lay claim of their life. Because when Jesus is Lord, you have to uh, submit to his plan and purpose. Herod doesn't want Jesus because it'll cramp his lifestyle. He wants to be the ruler of his own life. They want to be their... People want to be their own little Herods in their own little kingdoms. And there's lots of Herods in our world. We don't want someone to reign over us. We want to run our own lives. We want to run our own careers, our own fame, our own sex life, our own finances. And everything that we kind of just breathe in in our culture is really about feeding that, doesn't it? It's never about dying to self. Every commercial is about how, how you can advance. I listen to sports radio, and this guy talks about um, orange fitness. And, uh, or I went to, I, when I was buying a motorcycle, I wanted to buy a, a reliable vehicle, uh, motorcycle. And a friend of mine told me, then don't go to Harley, because he didn't have a Harley. And I thought, well, maybe he's jealous of Harleys. And then he said this, Mario, because when you go to Harley, they're going to sell you the lifestyle of a Harley, not the bike. I didn't believe him. And so I went to the Harley dealership here, and the whole time he says, man, that bike looks really good on you. Matter of fact, if you get this bike, you're going to go to a gas station, and guess what people are going to do? They're going to stare at you, and they're going to say, whoa, what a nice bike. And when you're on the highway, and I'm thinking, the guy's selling me the image, not the bike. 
And he goes, when you're on the highway, people will wave at you because you're riding on a Harley. And there's other Harley owners out there that will pat you on the back and they'll see you at, at the store. And then every week, we have a big barbecue over here and we, uh, all the Harley people get together. I'm like, wow, he's selling, he's trying to sell, trying to appease through my ego. And so we live in a world where that's being fed to us every day. And it's difficult to bow our knee to Jesus. So I pray as we begin to think and learn about Christmas. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, there was wise men who came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born? Now watch this, the king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was distraught in all of Jerusalem with him. Then when Herod had a privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. He says, go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him also. Code word for I will get rid of him. Sometimes, and I, this never really happened in our church, but a friend of mine told me that, you know, when he preached a tough message, people got upset and they, they were like, this is, this is too tough. And so they, they moved on. Again, you know, we, we need to hear the truth and the, and the light that comes through the truth, through Jesus. And that all of us, and I'm not exempted, that we have to bow our knee every day. It's every day when we, we walk outside, it's all about not bowing your knee. So why would we do that? The challenge for us is, why would we do that? We understand why King Herod does that, but why would we do that when we have the understanding of the, of the true, true reason Jesus was born? We have the scriptures. We know the end story. It could be for the same reasons. Maybe it's fear. And when we have fear with God, it's, it's because we don't really have a full, a better understanding of God. We don't trust. We're afraid that he might lay claim in an area of our lives that we don't necessarily want to relinquish. In that area, you still want to be Lord of your life. And I know because I, I struggle with that myself. King Herod did not want to leave his fate to someone else's hands. And we get that. I understand that. And even though we don't have vast areas of kingship, you know, we have little plots of lands, typically our own lives, we don't want to give that up. And the reason we don't want to give it up is because we don't have a, a great picture, an understanding of what God really has to offer. When we bow our knee to Jesus, he offers us true life. Not half life, not fake life, but true life. When we bow our knee to Jesus and we submit our finances to him, it's not so that he can cramp our lifestyle. It's that we can be set free. Our thought life, our time, 
And these are things that, as I'm sharing with you as a church, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. And one of the things I take this very seriously, the pulpit, is that I'm not preaching to you first. I'm preaching to me first. And I'll be the one usually tested first. But Lord, I pray this morning that I don't fall into that spirit of King Herod where I'm, I'm just ruling my own life. And, and I keep Jesus at bay. I'm not killing Jesus, but I keep him at bay because I don't want him to ruin my little kingdom. And when I think that I will be ruined by Jesus ruling, it's because I have a false understanding of the fullness of Christ. So I, I'm praying this morning, and let's just bow our heads and close our eyes, that we would get a better glimpse of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've made for us. Lord, we rejoice in it. And Lord, it's so easy to just point the finger at King Herod for being a, just an evil man, and he was. It's so easy, just learning about his life, it's easy to point to. But Lord, it's not easy to see maybe some of that same DNA has crept into our own lives. That we're maybe it's fearful of bowing our knee to you completely, insecure. It's all based on not correct mindset, understanding of your word. Lord, because these, these things we do know to be true, that you are good, you are holy, and you are just. Lord, you have the better perspective. Lord, you know why we were made, and you know how we are supposed to live. And Lord, every time we don't bow our knee to you, Lord, we are choosing our own perspective. And Lord, we want to bow our knee to you, the King of Kings. And Lord, we confess that sometimes we don't have a true grasp. I confess. Lord, I pray this Christmas season, Lord, that we would uh, be uh, reminded through the Holy Spirit that, Lord, we would continually want to bow our knee like the wise men did and bring gifts to you. And the gift that you so desire is the gift of our lives. Not just once sometime, you know, 20 some years ago, but every day. Every day, Lord, we bow our knee and say, Lord, you're the king. We're your children. Lord, we fall under your rule in every area of our lives. And Lord, that's what Christmas gift we want to give to you is submission to the king of kings. We say thank you, Father. Help us. Lord, be with the team tonight. Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified tonight, that our little kids would know that they too, that they would bow their knee to Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.
And everybody said, amen. Amen. May the Lord be with you. He is risen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.